calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Realm presents Gods and Lies, Season 2, Episode 2. Where is he? Father Edwin demanded. Outfitting himself with what he can find from the temple lost and found, I replied. Rescuing a naked Andy from situations was becoming a habit. Only there was no rescue this time. Now we both needed saving. He is a fiend, the high priest fumed. The devious, unmitigated gall of him and you. Swerving away from the sentiment at the end of that sentence, he skidded back into ranting about Andy. I hadn't wanted to tell the high priest of the Temple of Justice what happened, but circumstances had left me little choice. I couldn't take three days off work with no notice without some kind of excuse— and Andy inadvertently bargaining both our lives against the unending hunger of the primordial embodiment of justice was a pretty ironclad excuse. The sacred hound draped over Father Edwin's feet barked, bringing the priest back to himself. He slumped back against his chair, looking older than I'd ever seen him. Three days is not much time to solve a crime that, according to you, occurred almost a year ago. Do you have a plan? Justix? I looked down at my hands. The bite mark Andy had left in my palm glowed a faint green. The first step will be looking into the victim. Andy says his name was Argamnos, a messenger of the gods. Argamnos, Argamnos, why is that name familiar? The high priest leaned forward in his chair and started typing into his ancient desktop. After a moment's search, he went rigid. What? What is it? I asked. I might have a lead for you, he said. It might not be much, but a justix in your situation is going to need all the help she can get. Andy leaped 
walked back from the door just as I exited the high priest's office. While I'd been explaining the situation to Father Edwin, Andy had changed into a slightly stained green hoodie and baggy jeans from the temple's lost and found, with his unruly, damp hair curled into a messy topknot. With his height, his god-given good looks, and his demigod allure, he made even random cast-offs look like a coordinated outfit. Looking at him, the combined pangs of affection and anger choked off anything I planned to say to him. What was there to say? I'd missed him, and he'd screwed me over. He didn't even try to look like he hadn't been eavesdropping. What did the priest say? What are we doing next? We're about to find out. Get moving, I said. It came out harsher than I'd intended. Andy flinched, but he followed without further comment. He kept his mouth shut as we picked up my car from the parking garage and hit the road, heading out of Nexos proper. By the time I swerved off the main highway and onto a dusty, poorly marked side road, the silence between us pulsed and swelled as taut as a blister. If someone didn't lance it, it would explode in both of our faces. Naturally, Andy was the first to poke at it. So, what's the plan? You'll find out when we get there. Throw me a bone. Here, how am I supposed to help if you won't even tell me where we're going? Yeah, I'm not real interested in your help right now. The road narrowed. Trees hemmed us in on both sides, their branches meeting in the middle to weave a thick, leafy canopy above us. I'm your champion. I'm doing the heavy lifting. Isn't that how the right of old justice works? That's not fair. I laughed. It came out more like a wheeze. You do not want to get into an argument with me about what is not fair. I'm sorry. I get it, he said. I should have paid more attention. I just thought- I know what you thought. You thought even if you screwed it up, I'd swoop in and save you. It was tough trying to argue with Andy while navigating my aging hatchback through the green tunnel. The road split, then split again. Even though we were about an hour away from dusk, I turned on my headlights to combat the dimming green murk in front of us. Swearing, I brought the car to a halt at yet another fork in the road. Yeesh, this place is like a maze, Andy said. It is a maze, I said rubbing at my temples. That's the point. Give me a minute. I need to remember the order. Left, right, right? I wasn't trying to get you to swoop in and save me. I heard the click of Andy undoing his seatbelt, the squeaking of the vinyl seats as he angled himself toward me. I'm trying to think. I needed to get out of there, Iris, Andy said. I was being set up and I thought the right would mean we'd be partners again. At the first tentative brush of his fingers against mine, the order I was trying to maintain in my brain dissolved. I pulled away, gritting my teeth. Do you remember the order of turns we made? I asked. I kept my eyes focused on the beam of my headlights, reflecting glossily from thousands of leaves. Because otherwise we're getting nowhere. Sure. I saw him slump back into his seat out of the corner of my eye. 
Left, right, right, left, right, left, left. Okay. I put the car back into gear, taking a right at the fork. Thanks. Two more lefts, then another right later, we emerged from the leafy tunnel into an open clearing in the woods marked by a single holly bush. What is this place? Andy asked as I stepped out of the car. Just watch. It'll only take a minute. I approached the bush, pulling my oak branch from its holster. I pressed my oak reverently into the bush. The leaves shivered, as if in a wind, but I felt no air move against my skin. Then the rest of the clearing shivered, scaled, flaked away like old paint on a wall. The landscape transformed before my eyes, melting away to reveal a set of gothic wrought iron gates, topped with the Elder Bower, spelled out in gilded letters. Andy leaned out of the car, his eyes wide. I didn't get to surprise him often about the Pantheon. That was usually his area of expertise. The expression made him look boyish. Human, despite the colorful scales lining his cheekbones and neck. Holy shit. I ambled back to the car. You've heard of it? Well, sure, he said, trying to recover himself. The bower's like a nursing home for gods who somehow end up hurting themselves, or get cursed. I knew the location was secret, but how did you know about it? I had a case here, I admitted, a month ago. I'm lucky they didn't rescind my permission. But why are we here? Now that we were at the actual gates, I knew I couldn't keep Andy in the dark, as much as I wanted to. We needed to work this case together if we wanted any chance of making the rights deadline. But that didn't mean we were partners. Because our gamnos is in there. Father Edwin found a mention of it. Andy's mouth fell open. His entire face went slack with shock. But he's dead. Apparently not, I said. I turned on the ignition. So let's go find out why you're charged with murdering him. After the gates swung open to admit us, we rolled up the drive to the main building of the Elder Bower. The Pantheon facility resembled an old-fashioned college campus, with several varied buildings of ivy-draped brick and polished marble arranged in a rough half-circle around a small, shallow lake. The doors to the main building swung open as I brought the car around, and a centaur trotted out to meet us. His hair and mane were clipped short, and he sported a fastidiously trimmed beard. The scrubs he wore strained against his heavily muscled chest, while below his hips, the smooth flanks of a palomino shimmered in the dying afternoon light. Justix! Rogan's face broke into a wide grin and his eyes crinkled up in the corners. What an unexpected surprise! Surprises are supposed to be unexpected, Andy muttered as he came up behind me. I refused to embarrass myself in front of the Elder Bower's lead caretaker by kicking him in the shins. Thankfully, Rogan acknowledged Andy's comment with an idle twitch of his tail, as if swatting away a gnat. His focus was all on me. 
Father Edwin called ahead to say you'd be coming, but he didn't say what for. Is this about the Chromidius case? No, that's been put to bed, I assured him. We're here about our gamnos. The centaur frowned. I know we've had a busy couple of weeks, but I'd have noticed if we'd received a sacred hound. Was this authorized by his family? Not exactly. Iris, he said, and Andy scuffed his shoe at the use of my first name. You know how the Bower works. Without authorization, my hooves are hobbled. Otherwise, this place would become a zoo. We didn't really have time for that, I said. I didn't want to get into this with Andy right beside me, but this was the only lead we had. I'd owe you one. Like last time. You sure? Rogan said, a hint of his smile playing at his lips. You took me to a karaoke bar last time. I'm pretty sure you still owe me. I didn't look at Andy, but I could practically feel him stiffen next to me. Pressing forward, I whispered, Please. Rules are rules, but you're in luck. Our Gamnos's mother is currently with him. If she consents... Yes, that would be perfect. Thank you. Don't thank me just yet. I'm picking the place next time. He winked, and with a twitch of his glossy flanks, the centaur turned and beckoned us into the main building of the facility. We passed through hallways decorated with trappings that, while beautiful, valuable, and well-made, were several centuries out of fashion. Long reclining couches upholstered in golden silk. Old-fashioned stringed instruments carved with fanciful animals and sheaves of wheat. Tapestries and mosaics lined the walls, detailing some of the Pantheon's more ancient and colorful feuds and glories. It felt a bit like being in a museum or a faded temple, until you breathed in. The smell of incense and rose water couldn't completely mask the smell of sterile antiseptic. Rogan led us into what looked like a receiving room, populated with more fanciful chairs and couches that looked like they'd collapse if anyone actually sat on them. Wait here. I'll ask Diaphrides if she consents. Who should I say is visiting? And why? Justix Thoro, I replied. I'm here to help resolve her son's case, and I'm here with my assistant. Andy stirred, but before he could say anything, I stepped on his foot, hard, while giving the centaur my sunniest smile. Two seconds after the echo of Rogan's hooves faded away, Andy snarked, What a horse's ass. Andy. What? It's technically accurate. Stop acting like a child. He crossed his arms over his chest. Then stop treating me like one. Why am I back to being your assistant? Because I need Diaphrates' consent to talk to Argamnos, and she might not give that if she thinks I'm hanging around with the demigod accused of attacking her son. Andy's shoulders drooped as he let that sink in. I see your point. How'd you get into the Elder Bower in the first place? I had to handle a dispute here. The god of sculpture tried to turn his mortal boyfriend into a god, but the results went rather catastrophically awry. And he echoed my wince. Uplifting a mortal was a tricky business. Chromidius wanted him to come here to get the care he needed, but others on the Pantheon objected. 
And they trusted you to handle it? I guess I've become the Temple of Justice's go-to priest for Pantheon human conflicts. Ever since we'd brought down Tillamon for illegal human sacrifice six months ago, I'd been assigned to more and more cases where the mundane and the holy intermingled. It was a promotion of a sort, but it also came with a lot more pressure. Andy tried and failed to hide his sneer. And I suppose meeting Rogan was a bonus. That's not... Before I could finish my impulsive response, the door swung open, admitting the centaur in question. I spoke to Diaphrates and she's willing to talk, he said. You're a lifesaver, I said. Literally. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Orgamnos's suite of rooms overlooked an artificial lake. The god himself sat curled up in a window seat that jutted out over the water, his gleaming rose gold hair tied up into a messy braid. Even in his childlike pose, he exuded grace, swiftness, and power. For all intents and purposes, he looked like he was still alive, but the vulnerable blankness of his gaze indicated something was wrong. Greetings, a breathy voice sighed behind me. I'm Argamnos's mother, Diaphrates. I turned, following the voice, but I still almost missed her. She was a sylph, an air nymph and all but invisible except for the fine layer of glittering powder she'd dusted over herself as a courtesy. It's a pleasure to meet you, I said. I'm here to- Oh, I know why you're here, she giggled. Ithides finally listened to reason. I told him that the Wailing Isle was too good for the mongrel who destroyed our son. I told all of them- that fiend deserves torment. He deserves despair. You're here to help arrange that, yes? Good thing I'd left Andy back in the receiving room. I hid my wince at the word mongrel. Actually, we're looking into the idea that someone else might have heard him. The air temperature dropped a couple of degrees, and the sylph's manner changed just as dramatically. Hurt? Hurt? Oh no, the Pantheon is not going back on its decision. They promised. I reared back, reassessing. It was hard to get a read on Diaphrides when I could barely make out her facial expression. What 
Did they promise, exactly? This self didn't appear to have heard me. She rustled to her son's side, running translucent fingers through his hair. He fussed wordlessly at the contact. Look at my boy, Justix. Look at him. He was the Pantheon's best messenger god. Important. Valued. He was well on his way to earning his own aspect and worshippers for all that he's barely a thousand years old. My knowledge of gods without aspects to worship was sketchy. I knew some gods came with their aspects baked in, so to speak. Telamon's rule over the tides, Estros's control of the winds. Some gods had to earn or inherit their aspects from their parents or the Three Mothers. This was especially true for younger gods who were many generations removed from the Three Mothers themselves. I guess by the time they came into existence, most of the good aspects were already taken. When Andymion poisoned Argamnos with the waters of Oblem, all of that vanished, Diaphrates continued. A thousand years of experience, of identity erased permanently. They tell me he'll recover his faculties with time, but he won't recover the memories he had before. The god he spent a thousand years growing into is gone forever. How can you not call that murder? Oblem, the spring of forgetfulness. Legend had it that during the birth of the world, the Earth Mother tripped over a mountain and struck her head. On the very spot where her skull cracked against the earth, a spring burst forth, and all who drank from it lost every memory they ever had. Its location was a closely guarded secret, even among the gods. And no wonder if poisoning a god with it could erase their entire existence. I tried to regroup, gathering up my scattered questions. No one's doubting that it's a murder. I want to get justice for your son. Truly, I do. If Endymion didn't do it, that means someone else is... Diaphrides' cloud of powder dispersed and she vanished. Seconds later, a freezing gust of wind almost rocked me off my feet as her high-pitched voice whistled in my ear. There is no if. Endymion destroyed my son. I fought the Pantheon tooth and nail to get him the justice he deserves, and I'm not going to entertain some squirrely little justix looking for a loophole. Get out before I throw you out. So, I sat down on one of the receiving room's antique couches and folded one leg over the other. Relaxed position achieved, I couldn't come up with what to say next. What did one say to a centaur who might or might not have dated Iris while I was whiling away in prison? So, Rogan replied. He coughed nervously, remaining standing. He seemed as uncertain as I was in this position. So, you're Iris's assistant? I don't think I caught your name. Tony, I said. The fake name came to me automatically, on instinct. Stupid. I should have sorted this out with Iris first, but she'd given me no time to react to the situation. Either way, it seemed best not to identify myself as Argamnos' accused killer while Iris was still trying to question his mother. 
Argamnos hated me. I can't imagine his mother would feel any differently. Just started at the Temple of Justice. I've heard good things about their novice program, Rogan said, in a tone that implied he'd never given Themia's novice program one second's thought. So, Justic Sorrow solved a case here before, I said. That's where she'd met Rogan. Where Rogan learned to call her Iris. Where they decided to go out to karaoke. Yeah, we were really caught between a rock and a hard place before she smoothed things over, the centaur replied. He rolled his neck in a stretch, and I'm pretty sure I could count every one of his abs from how they bulged out from his caretaker's scrubs. Focus, Andy. It was stupid to get jealous. Iris and I hadn't made any promises. It wouldn't have been fair to have asked her to wait for me. But she could have waited a bit longer than six months, right? She's quite the gal, Rogan continued. I bet she'll even have Diaphredes eating out of her hand. My instincts perked up on that one. Diaphredes, Argamnos' mother. Bit of a handful, is she? The centaur wickered, embarrassed. I shouldn't speak out of turn. She's been through a lot as it is, what with her son and all. I'd never met her personally, but if she'd raised Argamnos with his arrogance and his sneering superiority, that seemed to fit. Since he was attacked, you mean? She's in a unique situation. Surely you must understand a little of it. Rogan waved his hands vaguely at my face. I realized he'd pointed out the blue and green scales on my cheekbones and hands. Your pantheon touched yourself, aren't you? On my mother's side, I couldn't resist. Rogan shrugged. From what I understand, it's rare for nymphs and gods to produce offspring. After Argamnos was born, Diaphredes had an uphill battle getting him formally recognized as a god by the pantheon. Sounds exhausting, at least the way that she tells it. And then all this happened. What do you know about it? I only know about it through Diaphredes, Rogan admitted. Not surprised. The gods don't like admitting they can be injured, especially by mortals. Once they identified Argamnos' attacker, they hushed the whole thing up. That can't have been easy. Why not? He was poisoned after the Golden Gala at Celebina's temple, Rogan replied. Wait, that's when it happened? I was at that party. Celebina was the goddess of revels, the patroness of celebration, libation, and intoxication. Her parties were literally legendary. The Golden Gala had been no exception. It had taken weeks to get the glitter out of my clothes. You and half of Nexos, so you can imagine how much work it would have taken to keep it quiet. They'd kept it quiet all right. So quiet, I hadn't known I was even a suspect until after I went to prison. I leaned forward, resting my arms on my knees. Can I ask you a question? And be honest. Rogan's tail swished. Fire away. Do you think he did it? The... the demigod the Pantheon put away. Hmm. The centaur trotted in place for a few moments, his gaze on something far away. That's hard to say. I don't want to bias Justix Thoreau's investigation, but it seems likely. Does it now? Now I had two reasons to hate this horse's ass. 
Bear in mind all my infos second-hand. Rogan backpedaled. His left hind hoof pawed at the carpeting. Diaphredes says he had a grudge against Argamnos. Like an obsessive grudge, for years, and it all came to a head at the Golden Gala. Came to a head how? I didn't remember even meeting Argamnos at the Golden Gala. Then again, I didn't remember a lot of what happened at Celebina's parties after the third or fourth spiked Ambrosia. Sometime around the end of the night, Andymion picked a fight. Argamnos gave him one. The demigod left to lick his wounds, and the next morning, Argamnos was found face down by the docks, his mind wiped clean. The timing fits, at least. That didn't make sense. If I didn't remember what happened by the end of Celebina's party, it could only mean I was too drunk to do anything to a god, even a groveling kiss-ass like Argamnos. But that was hardly a defense the old justice would accept. The centaur continued, heedless of how I was digging my fingers into the cushions of the couch. And then there's that grudge. Diaphredes said everyone in the Pantheon knew about it. Well, that at least was true. Just thinking about that spineless sycophant made my hands flex into fists. It was a reflex by now, an involuntary defense reaction against a constant enemy. During my formative years at my mother's court, he'd been a constant, hovering always at the edge of my vision, mouth curved in a slimy smile, shoulders hunched to pounce whenever I made a mistake, whenever I stepped out of line, whenever I presumed... The door creaked open, and Iris returned. She looked like she'd walked through a tornado, her hair stuck up in all directions, her gray justice jacket ruffled and creased. Rogan cantered toward her, nickering in consternation. What happened? Diaphredes declined to be interviewed. Iris ran a hand ineffectually through her wind-twisted hair. I really do appreciate all your help, Rogan. Hope I didn't stir up things too badly. Come on, Andy. Andy? Rogan's eyes whipped back to mine. Andy? I shot up out of my chair. Yep, time to go. Whoa, wait just a minute. Before the horseman had time to connect the dots, Iris placed a hand on his chest, all casual-like. I really do appreciate all your help. The centaur broke into a goofy grin. Oh, he had it bad. It was nothing, really. It's not nothing at all, Iris laughed, but it sounded forced and hollow. When this is all over, you pick the place, and drinks are on me. She got us back out to the car with an impressive amount of hustle, although I still expected the outraged centaur to come charging after us at any minute. When we got the car into gear and headed back into the forest maze, the car veered out of the greenery and onto the highway without any of the twists and turns coming in had required. It looked like the sun had dipped past the horizon an hour ago. Well, that went exactly nowhere, Iris said. What did you find out? I asked. With a sigh, Iris doled out her findings. Our Gamnos being alive was the biggest one. Was it too callous to say it was a shame? I mean... If I had to endure eternal torment for murdering him, the least he could do was actually be dead. But I was denied even that small luxury. The Oblum information was interesting, though. Hey, that ain't nothing, I said. 
the waters of Oblem are super restricted. But how does that help our case? Iris demanded. Well, Iris's grip on the steering wheel loosened somewhat as I revealed what I had found. I tried not to brag too much. See, I'm not a complete screw-up. I'm pulling my weight. So our Gamnos was poisoned at the Golden Gala? She asked. When was that? About two months before we took on Pippa Marwall's case. It took the entire reserve of my limited self-restraint to not emphasize the we. That's why Mom cut me off and eventually sent me to prison. What was your argument about? Iris asked. The one you had with Argamnos before he was poisoned? I don't remember. How can you not remember? Have you ever been to one of Celebina's parties? I demanded. In between the Pantheon-level booze, the glitter cannons, the ritual dancers, and the party favors, I'd be surprised if anyone remembered everything about that night. Besides, it was months ago. Iris drew in a breath, as if summoning the last of her patience. Then take an educated guess. Based on your history with this Argamnos, what do you think the argument was about? It's not that simple. I glanced out the window as the car swung back onto the main highway toward Nexos. Beside me, I heard Iris sigh. I'm not trying to be difficult, Andy, but this is serious. Neither of us has time to play coy about... A shadow swooped past the car. Uh, Iris? I'm invested in this case as much as you. You made sure of that. The shadow swung past again, closer this time enough for me to catch a flash of talon and the glimmer of one blood-red eye. Iris? It's a simple question. Swift as an arrow, a shadow slammed against the windshield. Cracks spiraled across the glass, and Iris yanked the steering wheel to one side. The vehicle fishtailed wildly. Mother unmake me! I clamped onto the dashboard as the car skidded horrifyingly close to the medium. There went the driver's side mirror. Iris veered in the opposite direction, tires squealing, until we reached the shoulder. She killed the ignition and grabbed her oak. It thickened in her hand to the size of a heavy cudgel. Stay in the car. Are you insane? You have no idea what that is. She slammed the driver's side door closed before I even finished my sentence. I watched her walk out into the road, oak in hand, head tilted back, her skin unnaturally pale in the glare of the headlights. I reached out with my C-Sense, but apart from a thermos of stale coffee in the back seat, I didn't have a lot of liquid to work with. But I'd be damned if I let Iris face whatever the hells that was on her own. I cracked open the passenger side door and made my way around the car, just as a shape swooped above us. Its enormous wings of iron-gray bladed feathers shredded the air, creating a metallic whine as it flew. The sound burrowed into some deep-seated, primitive prey instinct in my brain, and panic speared through me, choking off my air. The creature landed in front of us, its talons scoring deep gauges in the asphalt. About the size of a horse, it had the narrow-leaning frame of a raptor and a wicked-looking beak. It angled its head at us, first in my direction, then Iris's. The slitted pupils in its blood-red eyes dilated, contracted, dilated again. I thought I told you to stay in the car. Iris's voice was barely louder than a whisper. I'm not going to let you get... The monster flared its wings. It sounded like a hundred swords unsheathing at once, 
and a wave of fetid, copper-scented air hit us for one moment before it charged forward. A single flap of one wing sent Iris sprawling, and then it was on me, bearing me down to the ground. It pinned me to the asphalt, one foot crushing my ribcage, as if trying to get at the heart thrashing inside it. It opened its beak, its tongue flicking in and out, like it was tasting me, learning my scent. I could almost count the individual cones in its eyes as they bored into me. Then it reared its head back and screamed. And from the surrounding woods, others took up the call. One, four, ten, twenty of the creatures took to the air, circling above us, screeching and taunting, before the one on top of me leapt into the air to join them. I squeezed my eyes shut, but when I opened them again, they were gone, as if they'd never been there to begin with. Iris? I croaked. I'm okay, mostly. Her voice came from somewhere to my right, momentarily satisfied that neither of us was going to die right this minute. I rolled onto my side and puked my guts out. I felt a hand on my shoulder and instinctively flinched, but it was just Iris. She looked banged up and close to puking too, but otherwise intact. She pulled me to my feet. I think that was a grimmer. I've never seen one up close before. I said, at least not that close, way, way too close. You can thank Themia for that. She brushed some gravel off her jacket. When your right mentioned the old justice, there what it was talking about. I knew about Grimmers, sort of. They weren't gods. They were more like forces of nature, massive, bloodthirsty eagles who went after killers who escaped justice, or people believed to be killers. They weren't big on the subtleties. These days, they were summoned by the Pantheon when they wanted to make a particularly permanent example out of someone, or by idiots like me. And when the Grimmers caught their prey, no one saw them again, not even in the Underworld or the Seven Hells, because Grimmers didn't just eat meat. They ate everything, every last scrap, leaving nothing behind for a burial or an afterlife. I'm no expert, Iris said shakily, but I'd say that was a warning. You're listening to Gods and Lies Season 2 by Elizabeth Fail, starring Carrie Height and Sarah Mallow Christensen. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Gods and Lies is created and written by Elizabeth Vale. It is produced by Marco Palmieri and executive produced by Molly Barton. 
Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith.